If you're a first-time guest today, it's a unique time for us. It's the first Sunday of the year. We had some different plans set up for today. We had anticipated a a message that I may share in the not-too-distant future. Um, But I'm just going to go ahead, and there's two extremes we can go in a Sunday like today. Most of you are aware that we experienced a deep, deep breach in our faith family, in our local church. One of our leaders fell, and he fell in such a way, and I want to be very clear here, he sinfully fell. And he fell in such a way that he brought others down with him, one particular person. And then so many others attached to that sin and the activity. And as the culture that we live in, it's normal. Uh, It was made very public in the media. It was on national media. It was on local media. And your leaders here at Newbridge got before the Lord immediately and then got with each other. And God clearly said two words to us, truth and transparency. That means we're not going to cover anything up. But nor are we going to allow one leader's moral failure to become the context of who we are as an assembly. We can't make this all better in one day, and we're not going to attempt to do so. There's going to be moments where I'm clearly addressing some of the the reality that we're walking in in the sermon out of Psalm 112 this morning. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there. I'm not going to promise you that I'll stick to the outline. And for those that are putting the slides up, may the Lord be with you because (laughs) I don't know exactly uh, all that's going to happen in the next few moments. But I have some things that I believe the Lord has given even as early as this morning that he wants Newbridge Church to receive. This is a test. The Lord will take the strategies of Satan and the failures of man and he will grab them in an omnipotent hand and he will hold them and intentionally deposit them before his people in the form of a test. In other words, God didn't author the sin. God didn't partner with Satan to create a horrible event that struck several families in our church. But God is not going to walk away now that these things have happened. God will own these things and place them before you, his children, and he will say, now how will you respond towards me in the context of what has happened? I can tell you, I have, um, along with Pastor Dustin and, well, really along with all of you, spent this week processing a lot of what's transpired. And I haven't had time to feel yet, to be honest with you. It's been a lot of response, a lot of um, intentionality about things that need to happen, a lot of communication uh, with the principal parties involved, the victim's family, the offender's family. And then coming together here on Wednesday night, what a spirit of unity and a spirit of peace and a spirit of openness as we gathered together as the Newbridge family and talked through as much as we could. But in the midst of all of that, I'll be honest with you, I haven't had time to feel much. And in this morning, I've, I've really spent the time saying, Lord, I, I, just, want to, I, I just want to know how you're going to allow me to feel this morning because I'm going to stand before your people and uh, they're expecting some answers and some help. There are some things I can't answer. I just can't. I can't tell you why. I'm not going to go down the, the list of what ifs or I wish. But I am going to point us forward because God's not doing anything yesterday. He's not doing anything last year. It's done. He's, a, he's, he's shepherds forward. And so there's much to be said in this hour and weeks to come, maybe months about how we walk forward in this. But I'm going to tell you where I am today. I'm, going to, I'm in a mode, not as a gentle shepherd. I think that was a few weeks ago. Christmas time, we, we got a little gentle shepherd vibe in ministry. That's not me today, and I'm not going to try to be that guy. I'm very angry 
with Satan and sin. And this morning, if the Lord will allow, um, I hope I can be a sanctified warrior. I feel like fighting, and our weapons are not carnal. Our weapons are spiritual. And the echo effect of one man's sin, and please remember this with me, when a man of God fails, nothing of God himself fails. But I know how this works. Because piggybacking on one man's sins are a lot of little spiritual landmines that the enemy likes to deposit as we follow behind. He wants us to step on something good to blow us up, to blow our attitudes up, to blow our commitments up, to blow our faith up. And so I think my job today is, um, as we were praying together, about eight or nine of us for about an hour this morning, I just heard the Lord say a couple of things, and the last thing that was crystal clear to me was this. Jeff, this morning, swing big and swing hard. And so I'm going to. And so out of the 112th Psalm, and because we do this every Sunday morning, and today is no different, would you stand if you're physically able and let's honor the reading of the 112th Psalm? Some of these verses make perfect sense this morning. Others of them, though they are holy, I will just have to leave for a different time, but let's just look in the first verse. 112th Psalm, verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will, will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Here we go. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously in lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away the desire of the wicked will perish. You can be seated. When you were born again, you didn't go to the spiritual pediatric wing. You were immediately placed in a fortress of hope, a citadel, a castle of a king. He took you into his family and his dominion extends beyond measure and time. He's always ruled the world. And he's ruling it right now. And the reality of evil in the presence of God's people is nothing new. Within the church, there has always been the desire of Satan and his demons to do their most heinous work from those that they use within the body. Some of those people are what we would call tares in the wheat and the tares parable. They're not believers. Some of them are actual believers who act like unbelievers for a season. And in even a short season, when believers operate in the behavior of unbelievers, great damage can be done. Regardless, it's nothing new. But it is fresh for us right now. I feel it and you feel it. And so there is a lot of counsel that I want to give as a pastor, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to do much of that today. I have a few things towards the end of what I want to share this morning, but honestly, I just want to remind you of a couple of things, and the first of which is that in the, in the narrative of the gospel, the whole context for the gospel involves the love of God and the need of man. And the need of man originates in that place that we call sin. We would have no need if we weren't sinners. 
But because humankind is depraved, and just because we are born again, born from above, saved, forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, that is not to be understood as that we are immediately sanctified and glorified. We're going through a process. And when somebody sins in a scandalous way in the body of Christ, so often our temptation is to say, how could he do that? How could she do that? And in saying so, we betray our ignorance about something. That the God who sits upon an eternal and holy throne feels that degree of revulsion in his own heart against every sin that is committed, including the one you and I excuse in our own lives. And so when we say, how could she? How could he? The fact of the matter is, is the question that needs to be asked is, how do I? Friends, we are uh, a people in process. We're not done yet, and neither is the person sitting next to you or the people who have been at the forefront of our thinking in the past week. It does seem to have an extra degree of intensity when it's one we presume to be a man of God. And there's nothing I can do to make that go away. But in reality, at some point, we have to say, that is not the core issue moving forward. The core issue is moving forward. What's going to happen in my heart? What's going to happen in the heart of students, of those that lead the students, of parents, of those that are so young and innocent and naive in their understanding that are right now singing sweet songs downstairs, oblivious to the intensity of the warfare up here? What's going to happen with their lives? Well, I want to tell you something. Each of us is in a process of making decisions and defining actions that are going to stream from this point forward. And I'll just tell you what we decided over in Houston, Georgia, where I live. As for me and my house, we will continue to serve the Lord. We will continue to press into Jesus Christ. We will continue to proclaim the gospel. And we will continue to do it right here with you at a place called Newbridge Church, where God's plan, promises, and provisions have not been altered one millimeter by the sin and the failure of one of our leaders. So as we think about this, let's just talk about a believer this morning, and I hope that you will see that the believer is you, the believer is me, and let's see some things that we can learn together. Let's begin in verse number one and just talk briefly. The heart of a believer. We're talking about the fortress of hope. We're talking about believers entering that fortress, that fortress who is Christ, that fortress that is the gospel, that fortress that is the, the universal church of the living God bought by the blood of Jesus and sustained by the indwelling Holy Spirit and the covenants of an unchanging father. What about the heart of a believer? First of all, I love that we get to start out with these three words this morning because they reveal a hallowed heart when the psalmist opens up with this song and says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The high call on our lives this morning to which it seemed to, to a great degree we, we, we succeeded in this morning. The high call from on high was, children, will you still praise me? Will you still exalt me? Will you still believe in me? Will you still trust me? Will, and listen, don't think for a second that the Lord is unaware that the degree of difficulty was turned up a notch because of, of the horizontal trouble that we found ourselves in. And so he looks on our praise this morning and he says, it's costing them more this morning. It's more challenging to their soul this morning. And if I can dare say it, it might even mean more as it, the fragrance of it reaches the throne of God and the Lord says, they aren't playing around this morning. They're praising me through the pain. We're commanded to praise the Lord, and some of you feel better this morning because you have. Raise your hand if you felt better at the end of the song service than you did at the beginning. It doesn't mean everything's nice, neat, and tidy, and it's all summed up and tucked away. It just means this. We got our perspective because our focus went upward. It's a humbled heart. He says this. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. The hallowed heart is a humbled heart. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And it's not describing some kind of paranoid terror of the Lord. 
We sung it this morning. You are for us. You are not against us. It's not a fear of the Lord that says, he's after me. He's going to get me. He's going to chase me down. He's going to hunt us. He's going to fight me. He's going to destroy me. Not that kind of fear. It is a recognition of the awesomeness of God. The fact that he could do all of that, but he won't. Not to his children. That he comes to us and pursues us in mercy and grace and compassion. And the response of that in our lives over the years is that we develop this beautiful fear of the Lord, this awe-strickenness, this, this brokenness, and yet this solidified heart that is before the Lord. And we say, you are glorious, and you are good, and you are strong, and you are holy, and you are not one to be trifled with. But by your grace, you have brought me into submission. You've brought me into obedience. You've brought me into faith. And now, Lord, what is the rest of it? It is the hungry heart. Now, Lord, I greatly delight in your commandments. Do you see that same heart that holds a, a fear of God, but a delight in God? And that's what faith is. Faith is an awareness that he is, he is other than we are. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. God is distinctly different than us. And so we are in awe of him. We, we fear the Lord. And, and part of that fear of the Lord, it does, it produces obedience, but not, a, not the obedience of a slave who is a, afraid of the crack of the master's whip. But it is the obedience of a son or a daughter who wants to bring pleasure to the heart of the Father. And so the commandments are no longer grievous to us. The word of the Lord is not shackles to us, but it feels more like wings to us when we hear the word and know the word and delight in the word. That's our heart today. Hallowed and humbled. Indeed, I can tell you if anything has happened in the backwash of discovery, of sin in the camp. It is that any person who wants to honor the Lord has already been humbled. We humble ourselves. We say, oh God, but if not for your grace. But we're hungry because we want to know, Lord, what are you saying? How are you directing? What are you instructing and what's next? Well, let's move further from the heart of this believer who could be you and who could be me, should be all of us, and to the hope of the believer, and, and parents, this is for us, grandparents even, hear this as we all do what Haggai the prophet said, consider your ways. This is not a time to rise up in judgment. It's already been judged. It's already been exposed. It's already been uncovered. This, there, we don't need 150 verdicts. There is one lawgiver. He has judged. And if we're going to be judging anything, let's take judgment on our own hearts and examine them. The descendants of the believer are blessed. Just listen to this. His offspring, what, what offspring? The man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments. It is that man, that woman's offspring. They will be mighty in the land. It's a promise. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Now, I learned a long time ago, I just don't argue with my Bible. I, I just don't. And there are degrees of this truth coming out. But this is a promise that as a parent and as a leader and, and, and as a pastor that, that I can say, Lord, I just believe you that if I am a man who is praising the Lord, not just with the lips, but with the life. If, Lord, if I'm one who will live in a, in a holy fear of you, Lord, if I will take great delight in your commandments then that's going to be reproduced in my offspring, both my physical offspring, two children that Amy and I raised together. Whatever grandchildren might come our way in the not too distant, well, I say not too distant, um, in the future. <laughs> She's only 16, amen. But the Bible says that my offspring will be mighty in the land. It's an interesting word, by the way. Uh, the word translated there, mighty, in the ESV is literally a, a word of battle. It's, it's, it's about a champion. It's about a warrior. It's about someone who goes to fight. It's, a, it's heroic. It carries the term of strength and passion and, and success in battle. And how many of us are clearly recognizing that our children and our grandchildren are going to be a generation who will battle in and for the faith like no other generation before them in America. That's going to happen. 
And so the Bible is telling me ahead of time, Jeff, if you want your children to be mighty in the land and you want that generation to be blessed in the land, then you, sir, must live upright and holy in fear of God and being one who greatly delights in the revelation of God, the written word and the word that he speaks still. See, our descendants can be blessed. I think when I, I traffic through what we've had to traffic through in the last week, there's two things that I become acutely aware of. One of them is very painful. The, one, the other one is very hopeful. Our children and those that follow us that may not even be our children, those that look to us, they eat from the table that we set. I want you to remember that every day. Every day. A moral collapse of this magnitude did not happen in an instant. It was the result of concessions being made. And every concession that was made, the heart grew harder toward, to where it was no longer able to. To repent. And so God says, You will not repent, therefore I will expose. And in the exposure of unrepented of sin, there is this gravity that pulls the fruit of it down to the next generation. The same thing can be said for blessing. An honest and upright mother, an honest or upright father, an honest or upright leader. There is also a gravity that pulls down that goodness and it feeds the next generation and nurtures them and nourishes them. And let me add this, though I cannot give a defense at all to the activity, I want to remind you, scandals make the headlines, but for every scandal that makes the headline, there are scores and scores of faithful leaders who stand by the stuff and honor God and sacrifice and love and serve and walk in integrity and beat their breasts when they have the slightest sin against the Lord. That is the norm, not the scandalous. And church family, we must remember that. We can't expect the unbelieving world to do anything differently than what they've done with this news. It's like throwing raw meat to a, a pen full of Dobermans. And they attack and they pounce and they shred and they delight. God help us as the body of Christ to stop with our myopic living and short-sightedness we fail to trace our actions to their possible end. And then when those actions reach that end, others are left to pick up the aftermath. We have to stop it. There's a warning in the midst of all of this for each of us. Consider your ways. So the diligence is rewarded in the believer's life. I'm not even going to touch this. Wealth and riches are in his house, and that's in the Bible, and it's true, but I don't have the time to parse it, and we leave it for another day. His depth is stabilizing. His righteousness endures forever. It's going to be said again later in the passage, so I leave it because really what I want to do is get down to verse 4, and I don't know that we'll make it any further. The hope of the believer, listen to me, his deliverance is sure. His deliverance is sure. Look at verse number 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. And then it goes on to describe that upright person as gracious, merciful, and righteous. But let me take the first half of verse number four. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Your Bible never says it won't grow dark in your life, my Christian friend. The Bible never promises that darkness won't penetrate into the church. The Bible never says that good, godly people won't fail and sometimes fail at an epic level. The Bible never promises that. The Bible never promises that we won't bury children. The Bible never promises that we won't be widowed early. The Bible never promises that we won't lose our income or our health or our mind or our, our life partner. The Bible never promises 
that it's going to be in this world, light upon light upon light upon light. When we can make a careful study of the scriptures, we can come to no other conclusion that man's days are full of trouble as the sparks fly upward, as Job taught us. Paul taught that it's through much persecution that we have to enter into the kingdom. It, it, it doesn't make for pack the pew ministry, for church growth movement, for a leader to tell you, we don't have any reasonable ground to stand on to be surprised when things like this find us. We can't feign surprise. We can be hurt. We can feel it. But we can't be shocked by it anymore. Friends, if you'll remember with me the catastrophic activity by some of the heroes of the faith, did you know Abraham is portrayed in Scripture as a man who repeatedly lied. And he passed it on to his son Isaac. And Isaac passed it on to Jacob. And Jacob made a career out of lying and deceiving. Moses was a hot-tempered man towards the end of his life and was denied entrance into the land of promise because in anger he disobeyed God and his frustration with the people as he sought to lead them. And God said, I'm sorry, you will not make it in with them. King David is notorious for his sins. The man after God's own heart was guilty and complicit in the murder and cover-up of one of the, his higher-ups in his army, all because he slept with and impregnated the man's wife and didn't want to admit it. You have Peter, who always had something to say, who sometimes had roll off his tongue great declarations of, of, of sound theology about the person of Christ, but those same lips and that same tongue also pronounce denials. I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. I take an oath. I swear. I don't know who this Jesus is. And yet in our day, we seem to have forgotten that there was only one perfect pastor and they nailed him to a tree. It's going to get dark in your life and mine. And right now, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to try to paint it. I'm not going to add, add rose-colored to this inky, dark blot. It is what it is. But that's not all the verse says. Look at the verse. The verse says this, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Um, the prophet Micah said a different way in chapter number 7 and verse number 8. He said, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So the Lord doesn't say, I'll never allow darkness to touch your life or I'll never leave you in darkness for a spell. What he does say is, I will meet you there and my presence in the darkness will become a light to you. So, Jeff, what do we do with that? That's wonderful, preacher. Sounds wonderful. Write a Hallmark card. Go ahead. What does that, how does that help us today? Well, the fact of the matter is this is instructional to our souls. Yes, the circumstances that we find ourselves in life are occasionally, if not often, darkened in some form. And sometimes it's as dark as dark can be. But the Lord has promised multiple times in Scripture that he will be there to enlighten us, to accompany us, to bring us hope, to bring us warmth, to bring us wisdom. We will be able to see what to do next because he will enter into that darkness with us. And he will not abandon us there and he will not leave us there. There's no pleasure in the Lord to say, oh, Newbridge Church, individual sons and daughters, what a mess you find yourself in. I'm outside of the darkness. I'm above the darkness. I didn't create the darkness. I hope you make it out. What kind of God would that be? Jesus Christ entered into a depth of darkness that none of us have ever entered into, and he entered into it for the intent and purpose that we should never enter into it. For he became sin who knew no sin, that through him we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. Meaning Jesus went to the utter darkness of sin, as dark as it could be. And he wrapped himself up in that, in the judgment of a holy father. 
And he laid down his life for those whom he called friends. And so to, for us to even entertain the notion that in the midst of a lesser darkness, and though it's real right now, it's not worthy to be compared with the darkness that Christ went through. And if he met us when that darkness was threatening us, how much more confidence can we have right here this morning that he is with us? He's with the one who broke the law. He's with the victim. He's with those two families and all of those that love those families. He will be with those children in the future. He will be with the successive generations. And we can be a part of that process if we will respond with upright hearts. Fearing the Lord and greatly delighting in His commandments. And trusting that the light is going to dawn. You say, Jeff, when will it be? It's going to be forever. Well, don't be so sure. God reserves the right to surprise you with how quickly he can meet you in the midst of your bottomless pit. It may be before the day ends that hope begins to light in your heart, that answers begin to come. But I can promise you something. If you try to run in the darkness, you're just going to go deeper into it. If you'll get still and small and wait, know that he is God, you're going to see the light. He's going to meet you there. We go down into verses 5 through 8. And again, this is not my primary point, but verses 6, 7, and 8 are important. Uh, When we're talking about the heritage of a believer, because we need to remember that our lives are not our own. Our lives are setting the table at which our kids, our grandkids, and the next generation eats. What I'm doing right now with my life is teaching my children about the kingdom. What we're doing before the eyes of our students, middle school, high school, and younger, it's telling them whether or not we're actual Christians who can deal with messy Christianity. Let me give this. If the impulse in any of us is to run, to go to a place where there's no controversy, I would encourage you to slow down and make sure that's the Lord leading you. And the reason why is because uh, an evacuation says something to those that remain. I've never believed that Christianity was nice, neat, and tidy the way it's portrayed in so many religious circles. Our gospel is bloody. How many times are we told in in Scripture that we're going to have to put up with each other to bear one another's burdens, to confess our sins to one another? I mean, folks, that's not, you know... That's not a well-polished, you know, religious representation. I mean, that's, that's grit. That's guts. And I don't want our young people to see their parents' generation or their grandparents' generation and say, yeah, what I learned at a very young age is that when things get messy and people fail and we don't have answers, we just leave that scene. Because what if you need these answers? What if you need them not just for the situation, but for deeper purposes in your life, deeper questions? What if bearing this cross together is part of God's design for our future? What if the, 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 the only way we gain the strength for... Those listening on tape are going to wonder what just happened. A, a pterodactyl flew in front of me. I don't know what that was. He's coming back. What if all of this that we're going through, going through together, is God's way of strengthening us for what's next? Did you know that the Word of God says that Jesus learned obedience through the sufferings he endured? Wrestle with that scripture. Jesus Christ learned obedience through the sufferings that the Father allowed in his life. And yet I've seen this over and over again in this generation, the only generation I've been alive in, but I've seen it over and over again that when, when the heat gets turned up, people just move to a nice, cozy, shady place. And they never grow. And they never learn. And God is robbed of glory, and people are robbed with an opportunity to benefit from what we learn when we stay by the stuff And we take a swing at the devil instead of packing our bags and walking to some presumably safer place. And so, the heritage of the believer involves generosity. I'm not even going to touch that. It also 
involves him being remembered for integrity. It says this man, this woman, this believer conducts his or her affairs, affairs with justice. Let me just say this. I've already just briefly mentioned no pulling back. Don't pull back. Now is not the time to pull back. Do you know, what, do you know how the devil delights when, when the children of God get a little awkward and uncomfortable and their default response is just to pull back? That is not the will of the Lord. And don't cover up. And when it says he conducts his affairs with justice, that means he looks on his own heart and he knows what is right because he's got a built-in spiritual barometer. And the Lord will tell each of us, if we're saved, this is wrong, this is right. And in a questionable activity, if you don't know if it's wrong or right, assume it's wrong until he tells you it's right. And when you know it's right, do it with all of your heart. But friends, we, don't, we, we live in a day of, of, of shiftiness. And, and the believer of integrity says, I'm going to live my life with justice. It'll be integrity that comes and frames my words. It'll be integrity that frames my decisions. It'll be f- integrity that serves as the foundation of my relationships. It'll be integrity that characterizes my heart in the big things and in the small things that nobody but me and God sees. The heritage of a believer being remembered for integrity. And this is where I just want to take a holy swing at the enemy. I think I'm on good ground today. Remembered for durability. This is the message. I'm sensing it in my spirit just the more I speak it. This is God's word for Newbridge right now. Verse 6, the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. He's not afraid of bad news. He's not going to be moved. It's a word in the Hebrew that means he's not going to sway. He's not going to totter. He's not going to stagger. In what context? In the bad news season. I'm not making it up. It's right there in the Bible. That that part of the integrity and part of the durability of, of the believer is that they are consistent. They are grounded. They are stabilized. And so, again, we're reminded... We don't live in a reality or a kingdom where we're immune from bad news. It's going to find you. This is not the last of it. Let me make you a promise and always keep my promises. More bad news will find you this year. It's just going to happen. It's going to wear a different outfit. It's going to carry a different fragrance. But it's going to happen. Bad news is a part of living in a depraved, sin-cursed world. We're not in heaven yet. We're not glorified yet. By the way, sometimes you are the bad news. (laughs) Ask those closest to you. Sometimes I'm your bad news. Sometimes you're my bad news. But sometimes it's not you and me. Sometimes it's world events. Sometimes it's it's something outside of us. The illustration, and I, I used it Wednesday night if you were here, but it's one my wife used years ago with me in a similar circumstance when somebody had failed, and, it's, and let me just address something that many of us are sensing at Newbridge. There's a feeling of ick. Ick. I mean, it's, Lord, I didn't do this. This is not my sin. I didn't jump in this nasty puddle, but I was standing next to the one who did. And as it got on them because of their actions, it gets on us. We didn't cause it, but we feel it. That's part of the bad news. That's part of doing life together. That's part of an authentic commitment to the body of Christ. Where we don't just pick a church to hang out with our friends, but we recognize that God has picked a place for us to do life with brothers and sisters, and we call that place our home church. And so when we're looking at this, Go ahead and call it bad news. You're not sinning by doing that. God bless you, some of my hyper-charismatic friends. Don't even say it's bad. Don't even speak it. Don't even speak it. Well, you can live in that realm. I don't even visit there. It's bad. It hurts. There are some people that are devastated. There's going to be a need for love and grace and compassion and material provision in some senses 
for us to be the body of Christ. And if we're not willing to do that, then we are not a church. We're a religious club that meets on Sundays and Wednesdays. But that's not who we are. We're the people of God. We are brothers and sisters. We're in covenant with each other. And we rejoice with those that are rejoicing. And we will weep with those that weep. But when bad news comes, we don't run off in stark raving terror. You don't face bad news alone. And bad news is not the last chapter. Not for the Christian, not for the upright. Why? Because dawn invades the darkness. Because God moves towards the danger. Because the Lord stands in the midst for anybody who will have eyes to see. I'm going to tell you, none of this snuck up on him. None of it did. Be careful not to immediately say, well, then why didn't he stop it? Well, he didn't stop the crucifixion of his own son. That's a bigger question. He didn't spare his own son from the pain and the injustice of living on planet Earth. And I promise you, when you get to heaven, you're going to understand all of it. But until then, you honor him by faith and say, you are good. You are glorious. I trust you. I will not question you. Give me the wisdom that you want to give me. But Lord, more importantly, how do I respond to the splashing puddle that got all over us? Down into verse 7 and 8, his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. A great time for me to ask this. Is your heart firm and will you continue to trust the Lord? His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. There's a difference between sensing fear and being afraid. Being, a state of being, living in fear, never comes from the Lord. If right now the enemy is probably working double time on on this level, it is causing fear. Fear, fear, fear. Parents fearing. Grandparents fearing. What's next? Everybody looks like the boogeyman when you're paranoid. Everybody looks dangerous. Can I make just a a quick statement here? Of course I can because I'm preaching. (laughs) I'm going to give you something. I want you to think with me. We have to be thinking Christians today. It is highly likely that in this Sunday gathering, more so than in several months, we are more purified. There is no duplicity in your pastoral leadership. It has been exposed and it has been excised. There has been repentance. There has been brokenness. There has been tears before the Lord. There's been a sobriety in our hearts, a humbling and a lowering and a shredding of our pride. And I don't know that there's been a a, a Sunday in the past several months where he's had more of our quiet attention than he does today. And collectively, if we use from Joshua 7 and 8, The reality that one man's sin in a camp, in a tribe, in a nation, so weakened that nation that they were losing battles that they should have won. And God in his grace took Joshua and other leaders and led them through a process where where questions were asked and eventually the sin in its essence was exposed and dealt with judicially. Now, what, that, that's history, but what, what gets me, this is the question I asked the Lord. Lord, what do I learn from that? This is what the Lord said. I immediately sent those people, once the sin was dealt with, to the very same place where I had been leading them on along, all along. God didn't put them on probation. God didn't tell them to sit down and wait six, nine months, 12 months, a year to... to, to huddle and hug and make sure everything was okay. God said, now go back to that victory you just lost and start fighting for my kingdom again. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what they did. They went back to AI. They won. They got into the promised land. But all along the way, there was fighting. What's my point there? My point is this. Friends, um, in his grace and mercy to us collectively as a faith family, he has dealt with the sin. We have to be repentant as a people. I know you didn't do it, but I want to tell you something. Neither did all of Israel do it. Achan did it. 
all of Israel was suffering, and then all of Israel was recommissioned to go back up to the battle and take the territory for the Lord. So our mission will not stop. It will not slow down. It will include new ministry to hurting people that we weren't aware of uh, prior to last week. But we will not be defined by the failure of a leader. That is not who we are. It is something that occurred. And in case I sound too harsh, there will be appropriate ministry to him where it can be received. Well, we don't have the luxury of sitting down outside of the promised land and saying, wow, I guess God's done with us. Our community needs Christ. The nations need Christ. I need Christ. I need more of him. I need wisdom. You need all of those things that pertain to the kingdom. And so we move forward. Why? Because of verse 7. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. When, when does this occur? Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. So the man of integrity, the woman of integrity says, this doesn't undermine my victory. This doesn't steal the fact that in Christ I win. This doesn't give the devil the upper hand in the name of Jesus. Let that thought disappear from your thinking. The enemy struck a decisive blow, but it's not the final blow. And if you and I give one inch to the idea that what has happened and been uncovered in the last week is a death knell, then we don't know anything about faith. We are victorious. We are overcomers in Christ. The devil is the defeated one. All of his demons are going to be put in everlasting chains and fire. They know that. They know it. They just don't want you to ever link into that truth and stay linked in. So there's all this fear and accusation. Legitimate questions have to be answered, but quite frankly... Most of those questions can only be answered by a very small number of people. But we can't wait on all the questions to be answered for us to start operating in the truth that we already know. We already know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the head of the church, raised up a group of people, bringing them from two different places to make them one unique creation. Have you thought about this? There is somebody fighting Newbridge. But it's not God. It is Satan. It is hell coming against Newbridge. This isn't any token of judgment that we have sidestepped the will of God. It's the exact opposite. It's that we are in the will of God, doing the work of God for the glory of God as the people of God. And we will look in triumph on our adversaries. I'm just going to end there. Worship team, come on up. We will look in triumph on our adversaries. We will look in triumph on our adversaries. There is coming a day, child of God. Listen to me. Um, Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, I believe. The Bible says that in some place in eternity future, it's either Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, I can't remember, but it's one of those where the redeemed of God will squint. We will, it says, narrowly look upon in the King James. We will narrowly look upon Satan and we will say, is this the one that troubled the nations? Did you know that's in your Bible? It's a prophecy that the people of God will look upon Satan and his demons and will say, that's them? You know where victory comes from? When you start appropriating right here and now that you are living in that victory and living in that reality and you don't owe a debt to the devil and you don't need to dialogue with him and you don't need to listen to a stinking lie that comes out of his hellish mouth because he speaks lies. He'll take truth, reform it, and put it as a lie. So this is a time for us as Newbridge Church. And if you're not part of Newbridge Church, listen. The sign out front doesn't say the perfect church. Pastor Dustin and I lead with a limp. We're not perfect pastors. We're searching our hearts. 
Your children are not in danger here. The danger has been removed. We are committed to doing all the things we were doing before to ensure that this is a place of health and strength and life. It takes all of us to fight hell. Your life is either a conduit for the power of God to bring light into the darkness or the compromised life just keeps turning the dimmer switch down on the whole thing. Inspect your heart. Reaffirm as a man or a woman of integrity that you are going to be real with this thing called faith. That you're not going to play church. And by God's mercy and grace for each of us, our sins have not been uncovered and exposed. Let that sober you. And where there is repentance, you can trust the Lord to keep those things between you and him. But if we harden our hearts, recent history shows that God is not unilaterally committed to your reputation. He's more committed to his. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we are sobered this morning, And mad. I'm mad at your enemy, Lord. I hate him. Lord, I hate the devil. And I pray, Lord, that all of us here, those listening, will have an elevated understanding and awareness about how important it is to walk in the Holy Spirit so that we don't gratify the carnal desires of our flesh. Help us to understand this is a, an object lesson hanging before our eyes right now. And I pray, Lord, for mercy and grace for every repentant heart in this house. And I pray, Lord, that you would shine the light deeply into areas of compromise or concession where we have taken our cues from a corrupt culture rather than the word of God about what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And I pray, Lord, that these would just be the beginning of hours and maybe days of repentance. Let your favor fall upon Newbridge as it has for the last year. We expect it will continue. Nothing has changed from your hand. You have our attention. In Jesus' name, amen.